Hello, and welcome to Make Mine Multiversity, the best podcast in our universe for exploring the Marvel multiverse. I'm Elias Rosner. And I'm Jana Hill. And I call this emergency recording of Make My Multiversity to order, order. Excelsior-der. <laughs> we, we had to. We, we got to do it. We have to, yes. So we had originally planned to record something different today, but, you know, Spider-Verse came out and it kind of it exploded our minds. So here we are. Yeah. Elias, you saw it two days ago, right? There, I saw it opening night. You saw it opening night. I saw it last night. And I guess that's giving people a hint as to when we're recording this. But immediately I texted Elias last night. He's like, we got to record an episode about that, right? And yeah. he was right. Yeah. Elias, just to like give you my baseline level of enthusiasm going into this movie. Mm-hmm. If you'll look at our chat, I just dropped in a link to my personal Letterboxd account, which is Ooh. one of the few social media apps I guess I still update. Letterboxd.com backslash Rambling Moose. And on uh, most by default on Letterboxd, your your profile page has your four favorite movies at the top of your page. What are my four favorite movies, Elias? Interesting. You've got Attack the Block, stellar film, The Princess Bride, other people like it more than me, but it's still a stellar film. Almost Famous, one I don't know about, and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. The top four favorite movies, that first Spider-Verse movie. Amazing. And I haven't done the... Maybe we'll end the episode with this. I haven't made this one, like, fight the last movie yet. I don't know if I really want to. Yeah. But, like, like uh, I'll... This new one did not leave me disappointed. I'll say that. Yep. I concur. Also, we got to watch all four of these movies now. Oh, I, I guess. I guess. I've seen Elias three of the four of them. Now you only want to watch bad movies is your new thing. That's not true. I, I just enjoy what, making other people watch bad movies with me. You can't make me watch a bad movie. I'll watch a bad <laughs> movie with a smile on my face. But this one was not a bad movie. I loved this. They like kept on topping themselves in ways that uh, I never would have called. Right? Just, it blew my mind. There were various scenes when I, like, uh, I do, like, I'm not an animator at all. I know I'm not an animator, but I work with animators sometimes. And I know how some stuff gets done. I have no idea how they did some stuff in this. I was trying to figure it out. What Whatever it was, they have once again pushed the animation boundaries even farther. And what was really fun, though, was uh, I uh, a lot of the trailers, actually almost every trailer before the movie was either uh, an animated tri- f- movie or a uh, superhero movie. Actually, yeah, we think, got a bunch of superhero movies, too. Yeah. When we were getting all the animated stuff, I'm like, I can see the influence of Spider-Verse on these, specifically on the studios allowing non-traditional styles to really kind of start to be in the forefront. Like the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Just going to mention that, which looks yeah. delightful. Oh, uh, it looks like so much fun. But yeah. Well, I, I want to... Uh, that's all relevant because... Um, animation is like a smaller world than Hollywood, which is already a pretty small world. Mm-hmm. And um, this movie is under the umbrella of um, Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, who have a, also this month uh, their very first animated project together got a revival. Wait, really? What, yeah, they were. What was their they, first one? They were their first uh, animated project together was Clone High. Oh yeah, and Clone High just got a new season starting at the same week that Spider Verse came out, essentially. Jeez. Good week to be Lord Miller, huh? Yeah. 
Uh, Lord and Miller are credited as the writers on this film, along with uh, David Callahan, and it was directed by Joaquin Dos Santos, uh, Kemp Powers, and Justin K. Thompson, all of whom are like in the animation world, and all of whom have uh, touched um, Lord and Miller movies. And another touchstone that I wanted to mention before we get into it is, mm-hmm. did you by any chance see uh, Mitchell's versus the Machines? No, I haven't. Everyone keeps telling me to, but I have not. I've seen it like four times. I really like Mitchell's versus the Machines. <laughs> and that was made by uh, Mike Rianda. R- Rianda? Renata? Let me make sure I'm getting his name right. Mike Rianda, yeah, is um, the director of Mitchell's versus the Machines and uh, it was a very personal project to him. And he makes a cameo in this movie, and a lot of the people on this movie were uh, learning their stuff on Mitchells versus Machines. Like, I was reading a lot of interviews where they were saying, this thing for Mitchells versus the Machines was our prototype for that scene in Spider-Verse 2. That's fucking bonkers. You can see it when you watch, like, besides being very stylistically Spider-Verse, that movie kind of looks like a TikTok. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It's like edited like a TikTok. It's like these very frenetic edits, and sometimes it's like impressionistic, not what's happening. And it's cool because it's animation, then you can do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I obviously, I really want to talk about this movie. I want to get into the minutia, and I thought we should just go through it chronologically. I, usually, I don't think that's the best approach, but today, I think we should. Yeah, and obviously, if you are spoiler-averse, we're going through the whole damn film. So Yeah, if it's not clear at this point, it, it, you look at how long this podcast episode was and what it was called. It's not a spoiler-free hour. No. Uh, so go see the movie like, wholeheartedly. See it. See it, see it, see it, see it. Be surprised. See it theaters, I was surprised by so much. See it on your screen. See it on your phone when it comes out there. I don't care. See Get it, it uh, exported from a computer device onto some cartridges and play it on the screen of a Game Boy Advance like that one guy did just to piss off Christopher Nolan when he uh, put Tenet on his Game Boy Advance. Watch it on your tiny iPod Nano screen. Did those have screens? I never owned They eventually iPod. made a touchscreen iPod Nano, and it was like the size of the old shuffle, and it was square, and it was so small. God, yeah, I would be scared of swallowing that. Yeah. Yeah, it was intense. So this movie teases me with... They seem like they're going to do the Miles intro from the last movie where he's like, all right, let's do this one last time. And then he mm-hmm. like uh, goes through his intro really quickly with some cool comic uh, covers and stuff. Yeah, but instead for, for Gwen, because we didn't really get all that much of her last time. Well, and not only that, like um, she doesn't do her intro that way. Her intro is this like no. moody, rain-soaked, borderline noir thing. It's very clear that the uh, animation is taking cues from the spider gwen comics and Mm -hmm. i looked it up Uh, they said in an interview not only that they were getting it from the covers of spider gwen specifically the covers are some of my favorite parts of of those books they're yeah gorgeous yeah those uh robbie rodriguez uh watercolor yeah uh, covers and also like um spider gwen was this weird thing for me where um spider gwen uh, spider verse was coming out spider gwen is introduced i am like immediately floored by this character design mm-hmm. and despite not knowing my gender at the time i really gravitated towards that i got like a spider gwen costume hoodie from comic-con one year and just like i went really hard in the spider gwen thing like a couple years before i trans so clearly spider gwen is like in the in the, in the, mix, in the mix yeah and we so we see Spider-Gwen's origin story, similar to the comic. Uh, her best friend, Peter Parker, becomes the lizard and is accidentally killed by Gwen. 
And also like in that comic, her dad, Captain George Stacy of the NYPD, and uh, her dad is hunting for her, her dad, Captain George Stacy. Mm-hmm. Um, in this, George Stacy was played by, if I'm not mistaken, Shay Wiggum. Is that correct? Potentially. Uh, I don't yes. remember. Shay Wiggum um, plays uh, Gwen Zett. I love Shay Wiggum. Shay Wiggum is just this square-headed guy who plays square-headed guys in everything. And um, what and a his nice head addition. is very square. Yeah. And he's one of those character actors who does the same thing every time, but it's like a symphony of all the different tones and ways you could do that character. Mm-hmm. And it's this. It's this character. Yeah. He's what you want from Earth 65 Gwen, uh, not Gwen Stacy, uh, Captain Stacy. Uh, I just, what I really loved about the, Gwen intro too is that it's not contemporaneous. All of the other intros, you know, let's all right, let's do this one last time. Is always introductions. Yeah. But this is not an intro. It is both a recap of the last movie and a teaser for the movie itself because you see these flashes from the rest. She keeps talking as if she's like from, you know, talking and reflecting back on this. She's like I hurt Miles. I didn't mean to, and like we keep, you keep getting that that rep, that good noir repetition. You're right. I didn't catch that, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, uh, it's also like a drum fill, like you, right? You and come the, back and, to the same motifs. And the, there was, and Gwen being a drummer, uh, there was like a, a a drum line behind this whole diary narration she's doing. Yeah, we briefly get to see her uh, with her band, the Mary Janes, but she quits. Yeah. Although I guess quitting a band is like an important part of being in the band. <laughs> it's the ultimate resolution of the band. Um, I just want to um call out that um I don't know which of them is which, but um the great Io Edabiri was one with uh, one of a member of the band, either uh Glory, MJ, or Betty Brandt. I don't know which one either. Uh but I like but... Io Edabiri is a delight and I I was just like, I could watch a whole movie about the Mary Janes, I guess. There was a lot going on. We have to we have to move past the Mary Janes. Which is a shame, because Mary Janes were one of my favorite things in the Spider-Gwen comic, and the one issue that uh, Hannah Blumenreich did for that book, and, like, she's got stories about working on that book. Oh. It was not right. pleasant. But she turned out one of the best stories, and that was even, like, with meddling. And Spider-Gwen or Spider-Woman or Ghost Spider or whatever we're calling her. I got a friend with little kids. Mm-hmm. That's their favorite superhero toy to play with. Like As it should be. But, like, that's just a ride. That's part of the fabric. And Spider-Gwen is no problem. Spider-Gwen is here. I'm not worried about Spider-Gwen's longevity and her potential to be uh, touched upon by many different voices. Uh, hopefully there's no Spider-Gwanda, but... I was so shocked. I, I strained my brain remembering how that came about in the last one. What a weird thing to remember. So funny. I was, I caught me off guard too. I was like, oh, right. They did do that. And everyone just kind of took it in stride. Best part. Yeah. And everyone's just like, all right, this is blonde girl has a weird name, I guess. Mm hmm. Um, I like also that she, um, in the last movie, her, like, cool undercut was, like, an accident because Miles got a uh, web in her hair. Mm-hmm. And um, in this one, she's, like, leaned into it, and she's, like, figured out how to do it on purpose, which I thought was, like, whoever thought of that detail, chef's kiss. Completes the look. 
And as Spider-Woman, Gwen swings in because there's a villain problem happening at the Guggenheim Museum, which was for me the first of many great New York shots that were like incredibly animated, not only like a part of New York, but like from a weird angle. Mm hmm. Like the Guggenheim is so recognizable. So seeing her like swing down into it is not how I ever see the Guggenheim, but it ruled. Oh, yeah. And it was slightly different, not exactly, because it's a different Earth, but you can get away I, with that. Did you catch differences with the Guggenheim, specifically? Um, well, I mean, the whole thing was kind of destroyed by the time we got there, so... Right. No, right not fully. When we, when we get there, uh, the Guggenheim is being terrorized by a familiar Spider-Man villain, member of the Sinister Six. The Vulture... <laughs> or or maybe I should say it in a, in a terrible Italian accent. I'm not sure that we should. Uh, how do you yeah. say vulture in Italian? I I don't know. I feel like I would insult someone trying to say it. So, avoltoio. Avoltoio. Avoltoio is vulture. Il avoltoio okay. is what that guy's name probably was. Probably. <laughs> because it's not a normal vulture. It's like a Da Vinci notebook vulture. He looked so out of place and uh, on purpose. Like that was, that was the whole point. But every time he was animated uh, alongside Gwen in her own universe and like this clash and contrast, like you could feel things just like tearing at each other. Well, and he was glitching out like in the last movie. Oh yeah. But his glitches were more like paper well, the funniest part was um, he got sound like sound effect balloons like in a comic, but they were like drawn in like a Da Vinci handwriting style on like parchment paper that was like floating through the watercolor of Gwen's universe. Yeah, because he was mostly wow. speaking in Italian. I My New York accent doesn't come out for much, but it comes out when I say watercolors. Oh, yeah. Did you hear that? I really heard mm -hmm. that. You're aware of such things on a podcast, I guess. And... Um, I so the, when that when I saw that vulture and I realized what was going on, I just um, I I took that as the movie calling its shot. It was like, all right, you know that weird thing that we do. Here's an example of it. This we're this is what we're doing first. It's not what we're doing best. And I was like, holy shit, this is cooler than most animated movies I've ever seen. And it was like their first move out of the gate. Yeah, I was not, I was wondering where that was going to be leading. I was like, oh, how did this get here? How did he escape? Like, is there another portal opening? Is it going to be like, how, why? Like, my brain was just full of questions. And also, are we going to get to see Gwen go to this place and see a bunch of like Da Vinci era Spider-Men? Or I don't know, even, well, I mean, any other hero that they have the the rights to because it's not many they could name drop some it seemed unlimited i mean they were showing footage Wait, we'll get to it we'll get to it yeah, yeah, yeah because um vulture is um you got gwen fighting but also there was that line outside when um a cop who i gotta believe was a gene dewolf or yuri watanabe right probably is talking to george stacy and she asks him if he speaks any italian and I, and I thought that they have like this weird little like ethnic joke about living in New York, kind of, where he's like, I'm an Irish cop. And she's like, I don't know. Yeah, maybe you like pasta. 
that would like that felt really grown up for me in a way that uh, superhero movies did make me feel a lot often. Yeah, it was. It felt like weird cop banter that wasn't also very skeevy. Yeah, and I have thoughts about how the police were portrayed throughout this movie. Really interesting. But that just like sounds like how, how, something you would overhear in New York. Mm-hmm. In yeah. this way that made it feel like the real world in a way that a lot of superhero movies have not felt like the real world for me because there's not a lot of shots of like the superhero walking down uh, Broadway anymore. Yeah, and Broadway in, in a way that's not just, I'm swinging, someone says a one-liner, and then they're gone. Yeah, like all the Thor movies have a good scene of Thor walking through the real world and people being like, the fuck? <laughs> why is he carrying this big hammer? And why is he wearing chainmail? Is there a cosplay thing? Funny Comic-Con joke in this. Mm. The Comics Con. Oh, yeah. That's the end of the movie because yeah. um, Vulture is, I mean, I got that this was the Spider-Verse. So I got that he was coming from a different universe. And then like the multiverse spider cleanup crew pops into the universe. And we yes. get, um, we only get two of them here, right? Yeah, we got uh, Jessica Drew or Jess Drew on her motorcycle. Her motorcycle. Uh, I watched a little bit of the Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon. Mm hmm. And um, in that, Nick Fury gives Spider-Man a motorcycle that shoots webs and then can drive on the webs. Oh, that's fun. And I was waiting to see Jess do that. I, You know, the movie is so overstimulating that she very well might have, and I just missed it. It's possible. It, it rewards rewatching for those little details, in part because they're like, we're going to throw all the little details in there. You don't need to know half of them. Uh, and when we get to Hobie, I will have comments on that. Yeah, um, I'm planning on seeing this movie again next week. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm almost certainly going to see it again. Yeah, you she, mentioned she Jess, drives but, in. And you, mm -hmm. you didn't mention uh, Jess's partner in all no. this. No, the one from the stinger from the last movie, Miguel O'Hara, a.k.a. Spider-Man 2099, in his horrifyingly bulky shoulders. Yeah, his design was freaky as hell in this um what's your relationship with uh, miguel i know of him the 2099 comics have always kind of sat at the periphery he is not this chunky in the in those comics he is sometimes sometimes sorry i'm just looking through your your oh yeah okay there we go i was looking through your notes i wanted to make sure that something was in there it is in there uh miguel o'hara though he I don't really know. His stuff has always been like this sci-fi dystopia tinged version of Spider-Man because that's the 2099 era. But beyond that, I don't know too much. He's popped up every so often. He has the really cool blue and red costume. Uh, and here, I I love his design. I love all the designs. I, I don't think there's a bad design in the bunch. No. When I was a kid, a lot of the time, uh, my dad would just grab me comics on the way home from somewhere. Uh-huh. And, I mean, he had terrible taste in comics, so a lot of my favorite things are terrible <laughs> because of it. And mm -hmm. one of them is he used to buy me 2099 comics. He's like, that looks like a thing a kid would like, right? Oh, no. <laughs> so I read a bunch, and um, Peter David did a bunch of the Spider-Man 2099. Mm -hmm. And going into the movie, I was a little bit like, I love Spider-Man 2099, and it's very clear they're setting him up to be, like, a mean bad guy in this. And I don't know how I'm going to feel about that. But by the end of the movie, I'm like, yeah, Miguel would do all that shit. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't super sold on it at the end of the last movie. I'm like, oh, is Miguel going to do that? And we started to see him here. I went, oh, yeah, this is good. 
Yeah, and his powers are so fucking cool. He shoots laser webs, and his suit seems to be holographic. Mm -hmm. I've been watching a lot of Star Trek. It seemed like a hard light holodeck hologram. It probably is. I mean, yeah, I guess you're right. Mm -hmm. But the one thing that got me the most excited in this scene Mm -hmm. was um, each character had a leitmotif, their own musical theme. Oh, I've missed it. I've missed it so much. So Gwen um, had this cool, like, punk bass line that was playing in that first scene when she was doing anything with, like, Mm -hmm. a drum fill. Yeah. But when Miguel swings him, it starts playing what I can only describe as somebody wrote, like, a noir detective saxophone track and then played it on, like, a really gritty synthesizer. (laughs) It sounded so cool. And um, composer Daniel Pemberton, I, I, um, I read an interview with him before the movie where he was like, in the first movie, I challenged myself creatively so much, and um, I did so many things I never would have, could have imagined doing. And in this one, I tried to top myself in every way. Right there, I was like, for ten minutes into this movie, I'm like, yeah, Pemberton topped himself. Damn, I'm gonna need to keep my ear out more for that because I, I did hear it, but I was I was too busy just kind of like being overwhelmed by this <laughs> amazing fight scene. Some of the best action I've seen in in animation and live action in years. That, you know, I wasn't even going to call that up, but you're so right. And just, like, everything right. They were, like, wrecking shit, but also the fight seemed so, like, manic and desperate. Mm-hmm. You weren't like, hey, why are these superheroes, like, going through all the walls? Why aren't they being more careful? You're just like, you can't be more careful. This is a fight to the death with the vulture. Yeah, he does not care. He's throwing Greek fire. He's trying to escape. It's madness <laughs> but one of my favorite lines in that was miguel on the bat uh, when he's on him and the the helicopter's like he's like i'm a good guy and they're like you sure he's like what <laughs> do you mean and i'm like you don't you do look very scary and you did yeah, just try to bite scary. that guy's neck oh yeah and he's a vampire sometimes oh yeah that's that we'll talk about that later Okay, yes, good. Do you remember in the first movie? It plays in this one, too, a little bit. Uh, the Prowler's theme has this crazy, like, screaming noise Oh yeah. in it. Yeah, that is an elephant. What? He got a synthesizer and set it up to play different animal sounds, and that was the elephant sound. <gasps> That's so cool. When I tell you, so, like, Daniel Pemberton, just really, I the stuff he did to make these soundtracks is nuts and worth digging into. Oh, yeah. All right, we should probably get moving because we're not even out of the first, like, 20, 30 minutes. Right. Well, we knew this was going to happen. This movie rules. Anyway, yeah. roll credits. Holy shit. And right? now we're checking in with Miles. Can you believe that it that I was I was like, all right, we're going. And then they dropped the credits. And I went, shit, we haven't gotten those yet. Yeah, you just feel like an entire movie has happened. And you, have li- you feel like uh, the children of the vault. And you have lived and died and lived again. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. But now we're checking in with Miles. He's Let's Spider-Man. do this one last time. Yeah, and he's doing shit like in the first movie, and it's lots of fun. It's great to be back with Miles, who is played wonderfully by um, Shemek Moore, who mm-hmm. I'm not familiar with from anything except for this movie. Uh, this might have been his breakout role. I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure it was his breakout role, but uh, I haven't <laughs> seen him pop up yet that many places. Um, but he's great. I want to see him in more things, apparently. And um, I was born in the borough of Brooklyn. I mean, I was born in a hospital in Manhattan, but by I, I slept <laughs> my first night in Brooklyn. Oh, he was in Dope. He was in Dope first. Cool. I know what that is, but I have not seen it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I just was going to say, I loved the Brooklyn. There was beautiful skyline shots. It was definite, like, there was not a single fictional corner of Brooklyn. Everything there, I, I knew I knew where it was. Based on the subway or the mm-hmm. view of the Manhattan skyline. It was just, like, so specific at one point. I was delighted. Yeah, the attention to detail is, is unparalleled. Unparalleled in this film. Uh, um, but this is when we're getting the stuff where, like, his parents are talking to a guidance counselor and whatnot. And <laughs> they did a move in that scene. Oh, my God. I'm just, like, I'm crying again. The, so what I loved in the first Spider-Verse is when Miles Morales shows up originally in the comics, he's kind of a clueless kid and he's in over his head, mm-hmm. completely unprepared to be Spider-Man. And that's the thing is he's, he's stepping into these big shoes and he's unready, mm-hmm. but, he, but he believes in himself and he can get ready. He's Spider-Man, right? Yes. Then in a lot of the adaptations, they basically make Miles Morales into Peter Parker Jr. in the cartoons, especially in the PlayStation video game. Hmm. They always uh, there's a line in the PlayStation game where uh, Miles's dad says to Peter Parker, um, tells him an anecdote about a time that Miles took apart a TV set and put it back together. Oh, and that sounds like a yeah. really Peter Parker story. It doesn't sound like Miles to me. No. And I, I never liked shoving him in that niche. I didn't feel like Spider-Man needs to be a science nerd necessarily. Mm hmm. So I loved in the first movie that they made Miles is all about painting and art. He's not a STEM kid. He's a humanities kid. Humanities for the win. There's just so many um, STEM heroes in Marvel, right? That's like, that's a genre of hero. That's but there's their not brand. Like, yeah, that, yes. Weird science is their thing. Uh, but there's not an overabundance of like artists turn hero. And I loved that for Miles because that is the difference between him and Peter Parker is like uh, Miles Morales is really like warm and comfortable, even as he's like cute and awkward. Mm hmm. But then in this movie, he was talking about wanting to get into a physics program at, um, was it Princeton? Yes. And, um, and I was like, oh, are are we putting him in the box again? But then he starts talking about his fascination with quantum physics. And it all has to do with the fact that, um, his two best friends in the whole world, Gwen Stacy and Peter Benjamin Parker, uh, he like lost them. And maybe he can like not be lonely if he masters quantum physics. And he, maybe he can rebuild the dimensional device. Like, he's smart and he knows how to do it. And But that's not really, like, where his interests aligned until now. This floored me. This is an incredible motivation for a character in general that they're lonely and they want to see their friends again. So they will, like, master time and space to do so. Mm-hmm. But also then be weighed down with all the Spider-Man stuff so his grades start to slip. <laughs> well no but then the thing that got me was um that it's so specifically rooted in like this cross-dimensional travel thing and no matter how you slice it no matter how many times they try to make that not the thing that is kind of always going to be what miles is about he started in a different universe they brought him over in a very confusing retcon and then he was the star of their other like spider universe spanning series mm-hmm. it, there's just like um if I look back at the comics that are the most successful, it's all the multiverse stuff with Miles. That's pretty much who he is as a character. That's that's his genre. That's his genre. Mm-hmm. And and suddenly, I want to see him get interested in science in the way he was in this movie. That like that was so cool. Yeah, to to really root him in the multiverse stuff in all the different ways that it could be. 
Yeah, and all the fun, uh, you know, the Star Trek Mirror Universe multiverse shenanigans you do. You just do all of it, <laughs> which they do by the end of this movie. Give, give him a, a, a spooky goatee. Uh, well, that happens by the end of this movie, basically. Yeah. All right, but then Miles meets the spot. Oh, the spot. I gotta figure you got some fondness for the spot because he's one of Modoc's 11. He is. He's such a Z-lister, and he was. That makes him the perfect intro villain here, because I thought he was going to be one and done, funny, haha. Shows up at the at the bodega. He. he I thought he was going to take the place of the bodega bandit from Spider Gwen's series. Who's <laughs> I just this, this silly recurring va- villain shows up. I love Bodega Bandit. Um, in the early Miles comics, that's a shocker. <laughs> so I thought that's what was going to happen with the spot. He was going to be goofy. He's kind of there. He's just showing up as an obstacle for Miles. Show you know, show us what's up with him. And then they take this hard swerve with the spot. We're well, not there yet, but wow. I had heard that they were gonna um, that the spot was going to be pretty prominent. Oh, I I didn't know. I didn't know very much about the film before going into it. And you, I, maybe I'd heard the three things or, or read an interview here or there, but um, I knew that the spot Intense. was going to be a big part of the movie. And I love that the spot has, um, like, he, he is one of those villains with, like, terrifying elemental powers, but it's kind of a dummy. Yeah. And that's what makes him, you know, ineffective at first. That's like Electro's zone in the comics, which I love. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, but I was... Um, we're, I have I went on a journey with the spot in this movie, but I love that the spot is like he's dumb, so he can't really have the ambition to use these insane powers. But they're really freaky when you get into them. Yeah, and he doesn't really know how to use them at first, which is good for everyone. Yeah, and, and you know all the hilarious psych eggs you can do, and the spot is perfect for animation, right? Oh yeah, they even referenced that when they did the little. Um, this was so quick, I can't believe I didn't read the whole thing. But you got an editor's note about Hammerspace. Did you see that? Yeah. The first time an editor's note shows up in the movie and me and my friend, we saw it. We went, what? Did they just put one of those in? And it was a reference to like a term referring to Bugs Bunny stuff. Mm. Mm -hmm. So like connecting the spot in the lineage of cartoon silliness. So cool. So cool. Miles and his dad fight the spot together, but his dad doesn't know it. And that's really cute and funny. And that's kind of the big scene that um, Brian Tyree Henry gets, I thought. This was, this was one of his big scenes in the movie. Yeah, he doesn't get as many because this is really more of the mom's film. Yeah, Last more... film was the dad's. This one's the mom's. Yeah. Ooh, she was so great. Jesus. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm glad they gave her an extent, expanded role. Me too. Do you, how, are you, have you read a lot of Miles Morales comics? I guess not. I've read more of the once he moved over to 616. Um, Rio Morales dies in like the second arc. Yes, that I knew. By issue 12, uh, we fridged that mom. Yeah. I'm so glad. She was such a great character in this. Oh, yeah. Played by, um, oh my God, uh, I had the credits open, Uh, by uh, Luna Lauren Velez, who I best know as the police captain from um, Dexter. (laughs) <laughs> but i'm sure i yeah she, she um and just like wow what a what a tour de force from a great mm-hmm. so this is when gwen and miles get back together and um they get to have their little cute moment this was by this was my favorite new york stuff some of my favorite animation stuff 
And this was the scene that I thought kind of uh, reflected in the first movie, the famous part where he jumps upside down with the hoodie on. Mm-hmm. Wh- which one? Which part of the the scene? I thought that the Miles and Gwen, the way that they were being animated reminded me of that scene when Miles was like coming into his own in the first yes. movie. It yes, was, like, when they were echoing. traveling across the city. Yeah, like, but it was like echoing his confidence now. The qu- confidence he got from his adventure with Gwen, he's back with her, and now he's like at his best. He's not like awkward and making a fool of the scene or whatever. Like, uh, I just, that's not how another movie would have played that. Another movie would have uh, gone for the cheap guffaw. Mm-hmm. But Miles seemed like really um, confident and sure of himself, which is something I like about Miles is that um, he's awkward, but it doesn't, he's not self-loathing at all. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a, he's got a good head on his shoulders. <laughs> he's not like mm-hmm. as frozen as by guilt as Peter Parker is. No, no. He's... Which sets him apart from almost every other spider in the multiverse. Which is going to be a theme. I love that stuff. I love that. I love that stuff, too. He feels different in, like, no, he just feels different, and they bake that into everything. And not in, like, the obvious stupid ways, but in, like, these really small, subtle ways. In addition to, like, the plot stuff, and, like, it's, it's all really good writing. In the comics, I always kind of felt like Gwen and Miles getting shoved together seemed kind of arbitrary. It was. It felt very arbitrary. But here, I just like I think that they've done a good job of really making them have this this like really sweet, awkward chemistry, and like they're trying to figure it out. Will it work? Will it not? And like, there's all the the fun spidey tension there too. In the comics, at its best, I always felt like um, like Miles and Gwen were kind of like friends who were trying to date each other and were curious to see if it worked, and ultimately it didn't. Mm-hmm. In that movie, they're like star-crossed in this movie. They are Jack and Rose levels of like, holy shit. Like, they got it now. I'm so down. Yep. They're, they're Romeo and Juliet. From different sides of the multiverse. Mm-hmm. And he brings Gwen slash Gwanda to <laughs> the coolest New York rooftop party I've ever seen. Yeah. Right? You've never been. I'm not cool enough to have gotten invited to that party. You ever been to that party? You think I get invited to cool parties? I've been at uh, bar- Latino barbecues with wonderful uh, platanas, and I've been to like rooftop parties that weren't that had like a DJ, and I've been to like big boisterous loving family <laughs> gatherings. <laughs> the this... DJ. <laughs> that, right, then, when the parents were when the dad and Miles were fighting, <laughs> he uh, just keeps that... upping the volume to try and outdo them. I'm telling you, it's the dream New York party. The DJ is so slick that he uh, can cover up the host having a fight with his son. That's well, he the... tries until the host becomes too powerful, and then he's like, I give up. I would hire that DJ again in a heartbeat. Yeah. I hope he ends up being Spider-DJ in the third one. <laughs> the cakes. I'm not proud. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> there are just so many great sight gags and... They're not really blinking, you miss it, like, they're there, but there's so much else going on, you just, you kind of, you're moving from thing to thing. This is also where, so, the Russo brothers would have you think, and this has become a very dominant style in filmmaking today, mm-hmm. that you need an action beat every, in every uh, tenth page of the script. Have you heard this? Oh, God. Really? They're do- they're doing a 90s cartoon 
Yeah, like, that's why they re- famously said anything. I think it was any cartoon, but specifically superhero stuff like Batman, the animated series. They were like, we wanted to have episodes without action, but we were mandated to put at minimum one major action scene in every single episode. Well, I felt that this movie was doing that pacing very well, right? Because the intro is mostly like a moody piece about Gwen being sad. But then we get that excellent vulture fight. Mm -hmm. And then we get Miles being cute. And then we get the the spot fight. Yep. And, um, but then he, this is where it really slows down and we just get like a bunch of dialogue scenes of Miles and his family. Yeah. A lot of them, a lot of different ones. Technically, Miles's adventure across the city could be considered an action scene, but it was really more like a, a not a screwball comedy, but a slapstick. There's a lot of slapstick. He did fight the armadillo. Was that a fight? It was a quick fight. He, he zapped him. I think he kicked him. He zaps him and then he kicks him because he zaps him. He rolls up like a pill bug. Two moves is a fight. (laughs) Okay, I guess it counts. It was. But you don't notice it. It was a very lopsided fight, but it was a fight. (laughs) I love the armadillo. He's another one of Modox Eleven. Maybe, maybe Lord Miller are big uh, Venlanti and Modox Eleven fans. This is all. There's like a, a sleeper pitch for Modox Eleven, the animated movie. Yeah, if only they could get. Uh, a not not scary Modoc. Yeah, I mean, they really. Uh, this is the year they really whiffed with Modoc. So, God, maybe Lord Miller can redo most of that too. We can. Do hope. you want to take a commercial break and we'll come back and go to Mumbatton? Let's do it. Hello, podcast listeners. We're the hosts of the DC3 cast. I'm Zach. I'm Vince. And I'm Brian. Each week, we discuss most of the new releases from DC Comics, focusing mainly on Rebirth, Wildstorm, and Young Animal. We also look at the news of the week, discuss the film and television adaptations of DC material, and dig into industry rumors. We've also had a number of DC creators on our show, like Scott Snyder, Jim Lee, Christopher Priest, Steve Orlando, and Joshua Williamson. So, if you like Borat jokes, my wife, bad to impressions, this is bad, what the f***? And an in-depth look at DC each week, join us every Wednesday morning at multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. Come get Jurgens with us and we're back swinging on down from manhattan to moombatten let's go yeah so uh moombatten or the you know was based on a 2004 comic not a marvel comic actually what what comic i i who pilots it spider-man india comic was originally published by Oh, was published by Marvel? I I thought that because of international shipping, this one had to be uh, also published by another publisher. Oh, I mean, it might have. It might have had dual publishers. Because this was, um, I was in high school when this came out, and I remember my dad bought this for me. <laughs> he got you that, he got you Spider-Man 2099. And X-Men 2099. But that, uh, that version, that was just like a cute little nothing story. So this did a whole, like, big hero sixified his, that, that character. <laughs> What do you mean by that? Uh, you saw Big Hero 6? Uh, yeah, but I don't really remember much of it. It takes place in San Francisco. Oh, oh, you meant with the names. No, well, not just I with the names. With, with the character of uh, uh, Pavitar Prabhakar. Right, and um, Moombatten was kind of like, uh, you know, it's just like, oh yeah, it's like a little bit New York and it's a little bit Mumbai. and uh, But it, it's like a whole world like this. This is just what the world is like here. I think my favorite joke in that is that is they just 
the the traffic one because I'm like, oh yeah, that's New York. That's also Mumbai. <laughs> the one that killed me was uh, when he gets yelled at for calling it chai tea. But <laughs> only because he was pedantic earlier in correcting somebody on an ATM machine. Yes. And he just like really gets uh, get what was coming to him. You go around. Oh, and I, point- I didn't even make that connection. But yes, that is just like great. I, he really got hoisted by his own petard there. <laughs> well done, Miles. Yeah, just uh, another delightful detail. And we had uh, Karan Sony as um, as Spider-Man. Do you know what you probably know him from? I the voice was familiar, but I, I don't know. He's Deadpool's buddy who drives the cab in those movies. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. Dopinder, right? Yes, Dopinder. Deadpool says his name a lot. A lot. He's cute in that and he's cute in this. He's really good in this. I'm, I'm sad we didn't get a lot of him. But he really did the job of showing another possibility in the Spider-Verse and just like, had he felt like a whole world unto himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not to compare overly to this, but it was crazy how much more effective that scene was than that weird part of Multiverse of Madness where they eat pizza and balls. Oh, yeah. Just like, right, yeah. like that was going for the same thing that Moonbatten was, but I was like breathless when we were going through Moonbatten. Well, it helps that they also made it actually look and feel like not just, oh, it's slightly shiny future new york it's this is a different universe where things went very differently a multiverse of madness <laughs> and um yeah we just got like this turns into a cool day of the spider-man doing spider-man things and you know fighting villains because we also get uh hobie brown shows up here does he yes he shows up eventually because they're chasing so the context of it is Gwen and Miles duck out of the fancy party to chase the spot because Gwen was only there to chase the spot, the dimensional anomaly. And then Miles kind of sneaks away and follows her into the next dimension. Right, right, right. And so now they're hunting down spot. Uh, And so there's that tension going on, too, because Miles is like, what's going on? Gwen's like, "Uh, uh, you shouldn't be here. I have to be brooding. That could have been more annoying, but um, I thought they did a great job. At, I personally got that information at a pretty steady pace. Yeah, they gave us just enough, and they didn't like belabor it. Uh, and they also let them kind of fall into an old pattern, as if they both kind of forgot that there was this tension. Which is nice, because usually they'd be like hammering it in to really like let the drama sit but no they're 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 friends and gwen just really wants to forget about all the all the responsibilities that she's kind of stuck with at this point while also doing a good job but you also get the feeling that um one that she's a runaway and she feels like she can't go home again so like Mm -hmm. she will be homeless if she loses these relationships in this gig yeah she feels desperate yeah, she's got this desperation, and two, you're, it's, like, really unclear at this point, but she's really, um, it's clear that she's been, like, ordered not to talk to Miles. Mm-hmm. And we don't know why, but yeah, we get the sense that it's... Yeah, it's very frustrating. Mm-hmm. Because you're put in the same position as Miles, of you're getting just as much information as him, and he could tell something's up, and you could tell something's up. Yeah, I had a feeling it had to do with... I thought it was because his universe is Peter Parker who was Spider-Man, had died. And so that made Miles special somehow and uh, 
and that's why they didn't want they were like quarantining earth 61 uh 1610 for some reason i was like ooh what could that be but it's it's more interesting than even that yeah and which is kind of this movie all the way through right is um mm-hmm. it, everything i thought of is thought of something better wow i just noticed i was using a spider gwen coaster under my my cup hey spider gwen everywhere in my house certainly hobie brown you said you had you said you yeah hobie brown you said you wanted to talk hobie brown Okay, so I understood uh, one out of every 20 lines that came out of his mouth. Same. And needed I subtitles. If, yeah, uh, we needed subtitles, but also I think that was the point. I think totally. they were I like, mean, go for the thickest, cockneyest accent you can go for because it doesn't matter what he says. Like, if you catch it, it makes it even better. But it's like when it like in the thing one of the characters shows up at the beginning and speaks Russian. And if you don't know what the character says, it preserves a certain uh, mood throughout the movie. But if you know Russian and you know what the character says, you're like, oh, no. Here, I felt the same way. Like, Hobie Brown's lines were funny, but they also, I think, underneath, they, like, told more about this story than they were letting on. And by not catching as many of them, I think they did that on purpose even if it wasn't like you're, they told the actor, try to obscure your lines. It says, no, we're going to make it as thick as possible because if the audience misses it, they're not missing a lot of key contextual information for a scene. But once they get the lines, it adds a lot. Well, and by the end of it, um, Hobie's kind of a one note joke, which is uh, he doesn't believe in joining things. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of like, well, it seems like a circle that's going to be hard to square but no that ends up being very important by the end too yeah yeah it's it's hard to tell like well what were his intentions the whole time is he just kind of an ass is he kind of like not not an ass but um oh what is that word i guess uh, no no like obsequious something like that you know, wow. where like he he's there, he's participating, but he's gonna grumble about it the whole time, and he's like, "I don't really want to be here, but I'll do it anyway." Yeah, and there's like precedent for that. That's what the defenders is. Yeah, it's a bunch yeah. of superheroes saying that every day. But I I get the feeling that Hobie knew more of the underside from the beginning, and was kind well, he of comes being from, the the fly in the ointment. He comes from a rough world. He's seen some shit. Oh yeah, fighting fascists. <laughs> I loved um, when Hobie was just like um, another time when I was just like, all right, I know what Spider Punk looks like, and he's got a very fun design. Everyone likes drawing Spider Punk, mm-hmm. but it wasn't just Spider Punk. He looked like he looked like punk albums. He looked like um, newsprint. Yeah, he looked like he was being cut out of a, a magazine. Yeah, and the guy had this real like collage ransom note Sex Pistols vibe. Hmm. But that was just like, okay, they can make any character. They can come up with an art style for any character's universe. And also, like, you've read that the Hobie Brown comic that that, uh, that was based on? Uh, yes. I didn't read the new one by Cody Ziglar. But also I, pretty good. I read the old one. But the old one, just like, to a T, they captured all the good shit of that comic. It was so fun. Yeah, for sure. So this is where the spot gets scary. Yeah, I mean, his spot's power always kind of freaks me out. Even when he's doing goofy stuff with it, it's pretty horrifying. Yeah, but, like, this is where the movie is like, oh, no, take him seriously. This is this is a scary dude 
who, you know, because of his attitude as well, like the this science revenge man. Like he, yeah. he's kind of you. He's a bit of a scumbag is the wrong word. Uh, well, he's kind of pathetic while yeah. also being scary in the way that pathetic people sometimes are. Yes, yes. Because he has this desperate. It could because um, it's like the opposite of Captain America. He's a strong guy who remembers what it was like to be weak, but he did not learn the good lesson. No, he did not. Um, and he gives Miles like a vision at, at this point, and Miles sees his dad getting crushed by rubble as he's rescuing a little girl wearing red. And it's intercut with a second vision as well. Yeah, which I found really jarring and confusing, and I was kind of like mad. I was like, ah, oh, I'm gonna have to get that on a second watch through. But actually, like uh, impressionistically, I totally walked away with the right impression. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I caught I caught enough of both scenes. I was like, oh, that's what they're doing. That's fun. They're they're just like here are the parallels, right? Go. And um and you get the the spots showing him the vision, and he's saying like creepy shit. The spot is threatening Miles' dad. That's supposed to be your takeaway. Mm-hmm. But then in the big action fight with all the Spider Men, uh, there is a little girl in the street who looks just like the girl whose Miles' dad was rescuing in the vision, mm-hmm. and she she's being rescued by Captain Singh, who's one of the supporting cast in Moonbatten. Yeah. Yeah, we we met him earlier. He's the uh, well, he's the in- Captain Stacy of the of this world. Yeah, and they save him, which is great. Or they they uh, they they he saves the kid. The Spider Men mm-hmm. save him, and that's when the like uh, the mean Spider crew shows up. I shouldn't call them the mean yet. We don't know they're mean. The uh, but the, the no, they're, they're mean in that scene. Like they they are clearly assholes in the scene. Sure, but the, maybe, the maybe not like sinister, but assholes. Yeah, they're the super secret spider society. They're not the sinister spider society yet. <laughs> yet. And they they extract all the all of the characters back to their secret layer, which is on Earth. What's the twenty ninety nine Earth? I think it was like seven oh something. Nine twenty eight. Nine twenty eight. I was wrong on every number. That's okay. But yeah, they they end up on. They're in. My Miguel O'Hara's Earth. Yeah. Nueva York. Yeah, Nueva York. And um, we get a brief look, a glimpse of the outside. And I, well, I'll talk about this in a second. But um, then most of the, this next part takes place in their headquarters, which is also most of what we've been seeing in the trailers and stuff. Yeah, yeah. This was the trailer. Show. I'm like, wow, we got this very late in the film. But I, I, I understand why, one, you want to show that part off but also how much of a good feint that is. Like, you knew this was coming, and it didn't matter that you knew it was coming. Sometimes those trail, you know, the trailers will put out shots, and you're like, as soon as you know it's coming, and it's three-quarters of the way through your movie, you're like, this is so annoying. This did not feel that way to me. Well, because, like, in the marketing, they didn't push the the spot very hard in the marketing. Mm-hmm. Which was and smart. And that contributed to the surprise. And they did push Miguel really hard, but you've gotten so much spot stuff at this point. You're just like, wait, I don't get any of this. <laughs> like, they um, they fake you out with the marketing even, which I love. Best mm-hmm. movies can do that. Yeah, yeah. So, you have a, a list of references because there were a lot. Right. Okay, so... All the Spidey, uh, they're walking through the headquarters, and they're just. this is the part where it's just Easter egg after Easter egg. It's all references, and um, some of them get, like, a line on a joke. Some of them just walk on by. Mm-hmm. I guess uh, there's people whose tolerance for this sort of thing is probably pretty low, but not me. 
No, and I think they've earned it. That's right. The, that's I, the thing. They earned this huge thing, and they don't like overly milk it. Going, look at this thing. There's like it's stuff in the background. You can pick it up. Don't worry about it. We'll have some of the fun ones show up. But yeah, so I wanted to um, I wanted to just call out a favorite of my deep, a couple of my favorite deep cuts who were in the background of that scene. Okay. That we got um, PlayStation Spidey from the video game, who we also <laughs> saw earlier in the movie because Genki is playing the PlayStation game. Yes. Had some very recognizable animations, but he shows up with a bunch of other video game Spider-Man looking like a Nike shoe. <laughs> we got Maybelle Riley, a.k.a. Lady Spider, who is one of my favorite little Spider-Verse ones. She um, is from like the Victorian era and she's got like steampunk oh, arms. I, yes. I was like, I didn't recognize the name, but once you said the design, I gotcha. Yeah, steampunk spider, lady spider. Um, we also saw Mary Jane Parker as Spinneret and Anna May Parker as Spiderling from Dance Lots Renew Your Vows. A pretty good comic, actually. Oh, I didn't know he had done that one. I thought, yeah, uh, he. Huh. Maybe I'll think of something of, of a different series. The impression I always got with Renew Your Vows was. Um, that this was Slot doing what he would have done if he didn't have to do uh, Brand New Day. Mm. This was this was his like original pitch for Spider-Man, and he wanted to give Spider-Man a little spider kid. That would be a good evolution of the character. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, we also got um, a bunch of live action Spider-Man references, including um, Donald Glover <laughs> shows up. <laughs> he shows up as the Prowler <laughs> because the live action... Marvel movies decided, you know what? We don't like making each movie related to the last one. I, well, it's just like, yeah, these sequels are no longer technically sequels. They're just a bunch of random shit. Yeah. Although this movie felt like a genuine sequel. No, absolutely. I haven't seen every single Spider-Man MCU thing. I haven't seen Venom. Like, does Donald Glover um. ever show up in costume as a villain? No, no, but he was in the first... Uh, in Homecoming. In Homecoming, and it was implied that he was going to be uh, Uncle Aaron. Yeah, in a scene that is completely representative of the kind of thing I am tired of. Yes, yes. Where so that's why like, he shows up here in the in the Prowler getup. Every time I've seen Donald Glover after um, Post Community, mm -hmm. he has such a chip on his shoulder. <laughs> he seems so mad of how shit's going, and... Uh, like, my dude was in uh, that shitty Lion King movie, I guess. That that sets you up for life. That's one of the highest grossing movies ever made. Yeah. He got to do Atlanta, though. Atlanta and um, I, uh, Swarm is incredible. Well, what's that? It's his newest show. It's uh, one season, and it's on Prime. Interesting. It's sort of about Beyonce. It's about, like, psycho Beyonce fandom. Okay. Uh, Beyonce, his co-star in said crappy Lion King movie. <laughs> but like so donald glover famously expressed um a dream to one day have a chance to play spider-man in a movie mm -hmm. and then he was harassed by racists everywhere uh, and it was a huge bummer but witnessing that reaction was one of the things that brian bendis later said motivated him to create miles morales wow i didn't know that because uh, donald glover in an interview had a really uh he did something this really passionate uh, thing he talked about how due to Spider-Man's mask, like it's really easy to imagine anyone could be under the mask, which they almost quoted from his uh, interview in the first movie, right? Yeah. And then, mm -hmm. but like Donald Glover gets into like, um, unlike a lot of, so you don't see Spider-Man's jawline, you don't see his eyes. Mm -hmm. His face He's is totally, just an oval. 
Yeah, so any that oval could just be any human features under that. He's just red and blue. And then in the movie, they got they set up him being Uncle Aaron, like you said. And then like, yeah, Donald Glover hasn't gotten your Spider-Man stuff. I he wore um there's he wears Spider-Man pajamas in an episode of Community. He wears a Spider-Man tie in another episode of Community. Like he knows what he's doing. He does. He does. But yeah, I just got the impression that he was so cranky. He was just like, all I wanted to do was play Spider-Man. And now I just have to sit in this laser cell because I agreed to do a movie that made me the his uncle for a sequel that they're never going to make. <laughs> and now I'm stuck. Yeah, now I'm just stuck here. It's just like I, that gag was like it was there was so much going on as with every time Donald Glover does anything anymore. I also wanted to point out the great Mike Riande, who I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, the guy who made um, Mitchell's versus the Machines, mm-hmm. voices um, a therapist, a spider therapist here <laughs> in like a little one-off gag that's pretty funny. <laughs> According to the credits, though, that therapist was none other than Ezekiel Sims, a character that I felt like you probably had an opinion on. Ezekiel, is that one of the? Ezekiel, that name is so familiar. He's the guy from the um, from the JMS run. Yes, he gives himself it spider is powers. Who I thought it was. He traps Silk in a bunker. Yeah, yeah, that absolute was... creep, dude. Absolute creep. Mike Riando was playing a therapist who was credited as being Ezekiel Sims. So let let's assume he's a much better Ezekiel Sims than the uh, than the the totem guy. That seemed more to me like um, like you give your friend a cameo in the movie, but also yeah. maybe that's maybe that's the secret key to everything here. I mean, it's possible. We'll, uh, well, we'll see. I I have my theories. You can't have uh, Spider Verse without some uh, inheritors, you know. Correct. Correct. All right, I'm excited. You'll come at the end. Yeah. Um, now, based on your tone from earlier, I uh, you wanted to talk a little bit more about Miguel because this is where we really start to get his uh, personal story. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to point out the spider car. Oh, the spider buggy. Uh, you know the who spider, the spider buggy? buggy. I wanna. I wanna see a Scooby Doo version of the spiders. I wanna see that. Please. Spider buggy invented in the comics by one Johnny Storm. So good, so good. And um, there, I caught something. There's another funny vehicle that I recognized. Oh, the spider mo- motorcycle from that cartoon I mentioned earlier makes an appearance here. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Yeah, you can go like on, on Wikipedia. They have a fucking list if you want the exhaustive list. But those are just the ones that I made me smile. <laughs> so Miguel O'Hara. Yeah. Big, scary boo. Big, scary boy. I just I sounded like you had a lot to say about Miguel. I guess the a lot I have to say about Miguel ties a little bit more into like the what what I was going to say about the the other stuff later but but also he's he's voiced by Oscar Isaacs uh, Oscar Isaac yeah, uh, singular singular doing like I did not recognize his voice at first uh he was doing like the ex machina voice do you remember that that movie I've seen that movie dozens of times yeah yeah so he, he it sounded like he was kind of doing that voice instead of his like moon knight his Poe Dameron, he was very much turning off the charm. That's a good way of putting it. Turning off the charm, and he seems really explosive. He's always, he's simmering. Oh, yeah. He seems like he's... Well, he literally does. The second anything goes wrong, he throws an entire computer. And I don't know. He 
was such an interesting antagonist. Because he is antagonistic from the get-go. Even if you think, like, he's doing the right thing, even if, if, like, whatever's going on, even if you're not scared by his terrifying go-home machine. Right, which looked like um the the Weaver from... Yeah, from, from Spider-Verse. From Spider-Verse. And, like, his decrepit lair, uh, which I found all of those, like, environmental designs so telling and so cool because when we're introduced to Nueva York, we're introduced to the nice, shiny, above-ground version, which is never what you see in the comics. I'm so glad. Yeah, I was hoping you'd bring this up. Yeah, you never see that in the comics. Or maybe you do when, like, you go to the rich part of the town. Um, right, and they start classic to have the cyberpunk there. where there's no... The poor people don't even get a sky. The, their sky yeah. is the, the floor of, of the upper cities. Mm-hmm. And you kind of get the reverse inside where every other spider gets the nice, shiny Google campus. And then you get into, uh, you know, internal Facebook lair. <laughs> it's not really the ga- glass cube that Zuckerberg worked out of. But you walk in and you're like, all right, now I'm in the catacombs. Everything's red. Everything's broken. I'm glad you brought this up because... When I first saw them getting to, they said Nueva York, and they give the Earth designation, Earth nine nine two eight, and I was just like, "I this is like, a, this is what you're gonna do with Nueva York? Like, this is not exactly what I had in mind." But then when they get outside and they do the chase through the Undercity, mm-hmm. that was just I, that was like a feast of like cyberpunk bullshit. That was such a delight. Yeah, yeah, and you you see, well, literally the underbelly, and you're like, "Oh, that's where the people are living." Yeah, Ooh. and there's and there's all these like machines that look like uh, sets from uh, Batman and Robin. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. Where like uh, it's all these machines, and you're just like, why would you build a house on top of those gears? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a pervasive vibe I had when they were running around, which was perfect. It was per- mm-hmm. like, and also like they pulled that off while also being. Um, like, it really looked like a place people lived. It just looked like a terrible place. Yeah, yeah. And and Miles calling back to his previous nice and leisurely challenge course with Gwen in New York. Now it's terrifying Nueva York, and he's, like, on the lam. Right, because well, did you have anything to say about, um, I thought you meant you wanted to say something about Miles's, um, or Miguel's backstory because which is very complicated i think it's very complicated and i i still think he's he didn't tell it there's there are holes and there are like ad, missing admissions in there like whatever he whatever story we we've been given it's not the the whole thing or maybe not even the real thing and i'm excited to find out where that lies yeah, because so he went through the multiverse and he found he, he really yada yadas this, but he like found yeah. another Miles. Sorry, no, I keep saying Miles. Another Miguel who dies. Who yeah, the yada is like hey, who was dead somehow, and then yeah. he places who is him. Ki- and he, who is killed in his universe by events? Yeah, and by because we've been seeing events. events killing people and adjacent spider people the whole time. We're like, okay, you're, you're primed to accept it. Right. But then, yeah, now that you're mentioning that, all sounds kind of sus to me. Mm-hmm. So he takes over the, the person's life. He slots himself in. 
and then apparently the entire universe explodes around him because he broke the canon. So this is the kind of thing I feel like they would do also in like a worse version of this, where they're saying the canon, and it be- so you can tell that they're kind of doing a thing about um, comic book fans and continuity, mm-hmm. because that's how we talk about it. Mm-hmm. But all the themes were so like neatly stacked up there mm-hmm. that the stuff about breaking the canon and like no know, knowing the safest outcome was also tied into a lot of the parent and mentor stuff about yeah. like all these parents needing to learn to let go and let the you know they're only be successful when the person they were teaching is ready to stand on their own two feet. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the conflict between Miles and um and Miguel, where Miles is just like, why don't you just like let shit, you know, fuck around and find out in the multiverse? And Miguel is just like, no, if we fucking let one thing go wrong, the whole multiverse might collapse. Yeah, if we if we let one Uncle Ben survive. Right, because that was the other then, thing. Uh, then we'll get Flashpoint. <laughs> yeah, because the other thing is that um, there are certain like Nexus events in Spider-Man stories that happen in every one. And what were the events they mentioned? So there is the um, the formative death of a loved one who demiles with his Uncle Aaron. Yep. There was three of them, though, right? It was the the formative the formative death, which you know, Uncle Aaron, Uncle Ben, uh, Peter Parker for for Gwen, uh, which I was bawling through that whole scene the first time, even though oh, I yeah. knew what was coming. I was like, oh, they got me, yeah, <laughs> they got me so much. That's delightful. What were the others? I think it was that. Um, I remember seeing oh, the death um... of a captain. Well, that's the one that's plot relevant. I I, I also remember I, there was more than this, but they show um, Spider-Man No More, like the part of the story where every Spider-Man has to quit being Spider-Man. Yes, yes. Because it ruined their personal life one time too many. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, and they all, they're like, you all have to go through these milestones. You can't skip to the end. And also like, if you don't go through every milestone in, in order, the whole world might be destroyed. Yeah. And, and like Gwen it, had earlier brought up how, you know, when Gwen and Spider-Man date... It never ends well, in part because she's one of the few Gwen Stacy's that apparently is still alive. That's what kind of makes her special. Right. Uh, or one of the Gwen Stacy's that interacted with a Spider-Man. I'm assuming that if they never meet, all is good. Uh, but uh, that's not really delved into all that much. But like that that's another one of those things where like Miguel seemed to get in her head about that. And that was another like piece of tension in their relationship. And Miguel's like, why does that matter? Fuck fate. Well, the, it's, the Spider-Mans are also motivated by fear and guilt, but Miles, yeah. that kind of... He's not. Yeah, not as much as everybody else, at least. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's what lets him see it differently? Because he had a good mentor. <laughs> it, it Peter B. Parker. Oh, he's so cute and delightful. I love him so much. <laughs> he's such a bit of a trash bag. Well, he's just a fucking wreck. I yeah, was so shocked that... His Mary Jane did not end up being Kirsten Dunst. I looked it up. Who was it? It was no one I had heard of. Um, mm-hmm. We'll try to figure it out. Was it? Was this it? Elizabeth Perkins? No, that was a different Spider person. But doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. She was great. Yeah, that was a very cute scene. Um, Melissa Stur- Melissa Sturm mm-hmm. was the voice of that MJ. I love Mayday. Mayday is so much fun. Having a spider around. baby is great. This is skipping ahead a little bit, but actually, I think this is where I want to mention this. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a scene in a little bit where Gwen goes home and she has the cathartic conversation with her dad. Yeah. And what was so interesting was 
in addition to the parenting metaphor and the um the canon mm-hmm. there was also i thought this really interesting pervasive theme about like uh, superheroes and policing yeah so like the canon event that they all that um is that a police captain in Spider-Man's life has to die. That was Detective Singh, that was Captain Stacy, and now it's going to be Miles' dad, and that's what Miles is fighting so hard to make that happen. Mm-hmm. And Gwen's dad is obviously Captain Dude, George Stacy, and mm-hmm. she has this like heart-to-heart with him where she says everything that Spider-Man's meant to be in her, and she has this line about, she says, um, I know that the reason you put on that badge every day is because if you don't, someone a lot worse would. Mm-hmm which was acknowledging, you know, modern criticism of uh, policing in America. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing that happens is despite her saying that and kind of echoing an uncomfortable, you're one of the good ones, dad. Mm-hmm. When like the bigger criticism is the system problem, the systemic problem. Yeah. He quits being a cop. And when she's like, when did this happen? He said like halfway through your big speech. So he just was inspired to be stop being a cop because of what she was saying. And also because she had compared her mask as Spider-Gwen to a badge. Mm-hmm. And, like, what that meant to him and what that meant to her. But if you think about it, also, like, that's the difference between Miles' approach and Miguel's approach. Mm. Is Miles has this, like, superhero model where it's just, like, good, dedicated people trying their best to help out no matter what. And Miguel is one of these, like, technocrats who blows up the superheroes trying to save people to be like, well, what's the most efficient way to save the most people possible? And he's creating, like, government or corporation or something, like this big institution to do what it was okay when one superhero was doing, but gets really freaky when you start instituting it across the multiverse. I mean, he is literally creating a paramilitary policing organization yeah. in that way, whereas Miles is more of a more community-based, and he's like, well, how can we help people? That was that was what I was missing. More community based is exactly what it is. It's mm-hmm. the difference between uh, the community based safety and like uh, national policing. But like, so that's like a pretty boring conversation I've seen in a lot of superhero comics. It was really fresh in this, and that like permeated so many levels of it. Because mm-hmm. it's being, it's also about being paternalistic when you're the goal of parenting is to not have to control something at the end. Yeah, and it's kind of le- about letting that that control go. And that's something that, like, the the father, three months, three months grounding, <laughs> has to has to kind of learn. Right, and then his mom uh, lets, lets him off the hook, and he's kind of just like, I knew this would happen. Yeah. Maybe we have to give him some space, like this much space. <laughs> um, which also Let's was listen echoing, to your deep voice, spider friend. Which also echoes how uh, close he was standing, uh, Hobie was standing to Gwen. Yeah, and I wonder how much of these were integrated because of the additional time they were able to take in this movie and because they made the decision to have Miles's dad be a cop in the first one right like building on that and evolving it and they were like well here how can we work all of these ideas in in a more thoughtful way instead of just like doing it this movie ends on a cliffhanger so I don't know where any of these themes are going to land that's true But, like, um, they really brought it up a couple times in a way that I thought was interesting. And if this movie is as good as I think it's going, it is, um, that's going to have, like, maybe Miles' dad won't be a cop at the end. Maybe that's where the movie lands. We'll find out. Or maybe it's on a universe-by-universe basis. We'll have to see. Because, so, this is where we learn, um, Miguel explains that the spider 
that Bit Miles was teleported by Kingpin's dimension machine from the first movie. And mm-hmm. it was from Earth 42, which the spider had a 42 on it. And that this is a reference to in Ultimate Spider-Man, there's a certain number of spiders and that's the one that escapes. Oh, OK. Uncle Aaron. Yeah, that, is and that, robbed- that's what I thought the first and that's what was implied in the first movie. It's oh, they were experimenting or a spider got stuck in it and it got irradiated or whatever. Right. But no, but this of- is literally a different spider. Yeah, and that spider was meant to bite someone on Earth-42, probably Peter Parker or whatever. Mm-hmm. But he never did, and um, because he wasn't there. And and um, that's why maybe why the the Spider-Man of Miles' Earth had to die, because cosmically there can't be two Spider-Man in the same universe. I guess. Or cosmically, literally, because Miles was there... Peter's trajectory changed because he had to save Miles and then enough little things shifted that he was in the wrong place at the wrong time and Kingpin was able to get him. Fuck, I'm going to watch that movie again tonight. (laughs) So Miles shows up in a universe that looks familiar, more familiar to him, more comfortable. He swings back to his house and he gets to finally have that big um, coming out moment where he comes out to his mom as Spider-Man. Yeah, and this whole time, you know, they're being very coy. We're having these two parallel tracks. We're following Gwen and Peter B. Parker, but Gwen, who's who's kind of who had been kicked out. She she was given a, a dimensional travel device by Hobie, which it's is like a cool great. bootleg one that's all punk rock. Uh huh. It looks like it's probably gonna fall apart at any second. It could rip her leg off. <laughs> like she shows up, her legs in the wall. It's janky, but I trust Hobie. He seems smart. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> she shows up and she's like hunting as as Miguel and Jess are are really looking for Miles. And I had caught it because on the screen it said uh, when the Miles snuck into the go home machine and it was supposed to send him to his home dimension. But it reads the spider's DNA instead. Which I thought was great. Again, like if you don't see the screen and you didn't put together spider plus that's the DNA that the thing is reading you don't realize until after the end of the conversation with the mom that he's in the wrong universe. And that was such a good scary reveal of your mom is not actually your mom. Mm-hmm. But also that in this universe, his dad is dead. Yeah, his dad is already dead, which is the outcome he's trying to prevent, but Uncle Aaron is alive. Mm-hmm. And that, and that's that doesn't turn out so great for him. Really briefly, I... um. Just wanted to call out, so one of the spiders who gets, like, a couple extra lines from the other ones is um, yes. Ben Riley, the Scarlet Spider. Yes! Yeah? What did, what did you respond? My favorite gag. What was your favorite gag? Was it just that he looked like he was drawn by Todd McFarlane every time he was on screen? No, my favorite gag was that when he showed up and looked like that, he was like, Ugh! I'm so sad! Ugh! <laughs> Do, okay, and then he narrates to himself in like the know, most annoying way possible. Do you know who was do, do, doing that annoying narration? No, I don't. That was Andy Samberg. <laughs> <laughs> and I happen to I know for a fact that Andy Samberg loves McFarlane Spider-Man. Yes. Just like what a dream that must have been for him. He you can feel it. You can feel how delighted he is through the performance. Yes. Oh my god. Andy Samberg. But uh 
Perfect. Fla- flashing back. So um, Uncle Aaron knocks out Miles and Miles wakes up uh, chained to the um, punching bag in Aaron's apartment, just like uh, in Peter was in the previous movie. Mm-hmm. But just because of everything that's going on right now, it's really menacing. I mean, Aaron, like, clearly can be a scary guy, but, like... Uh, We've never really seen it. And, like, tying up your nephew to a punching bag in your apartment and putting on scary claws. The scariest moment for me is when he put on the Motown record. Mm. I was just like, oh, yeah, that's what you do before you cut a guy's ear off in a Tarantino movie. Yeah. That's, that's where this is going. to cover up the sound of the screaming. And Miles starts babbling and he's trying to get Uncle Aaron not to kill him. And he's just like, uh, but I knew in my universe you were the Prowler. And that's when we got the reveal that I figured out maybe like 30 seconds before it happened on the screen. But the person I saw the movie with was totally screaming and shaking. Mm-hmm. I caught the part I caught was when Aaron said something just like, oh, you cut your braids. Mm. I was just like, oh, say what? That's this is there's a Miles here and he is up to something. Because oh, yeah, Miles Morales shows up, and in this universe, Miles Morales, who's got braids, is the Prowler. Yeah, I didn't catch that he was going to be the Prowler, but I'm like, oh, he's working with Aaron. Oh, he's that's not good. But I didn't think that he was the brains of the operation. Uh, this Miles, who's Miles G. Morales, <laughs> keeping up the name and scheme is played by Jarrell Jerome, is not the same voice as R. Miles. Okay. Um, which I didn't know. I thought it was, um, I thought we were getting uh, Shamik Moore doing like dueling performances, but no, there's, so this is a whole new actor. Interesting. Which makes me feel like there's going to be a, he's going to be a big part of the next movie. Oh, he has to be. This is also, it has, you know, elements of this did happen in the comics. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because it um, turns I out don't... that they're, mm-hmm. There was an original Earth 616 Miles, and he does become the Prowler. I thought he became Ultimatum. He becomes a lot of things. That was a very confused arc. Okay. Okay. But I mean, he, he, yeah. He, I actually now I can't remember when he used the name, but he was like his costume looked like the Prowler costume in these movies. Yeah, a little bit. But Miles meeting a villain version of himself is now like a classic Miles idea. When they did that like, Ultimatum story in the comic, it was a snooze for me. A hard agree. I am so excited for Evil Miles now. I just like feel so uh, familiar with uh, R. Miles that I I feel as he does the betrayal of seeing this version of yourself who's making different choices. Who's making different choices and who's like essentially like you don't know what he wants. You don't know if he's like threatening to go and like kill this other his other dad because why did you get to have the happy life when I didn't? Or if he's going to be like, I'm going to steal your life. Or if he's just going to be menacing in general. Like, we don't know. We don't know enough about him yet. And we don't find out anything about him because then no. the movie just ends. <laughs> well, we get one scene where, yeah, we do get one where scene. Gwen starts to narrate just like she did at the beginning of the film. And she assembles a crew of people from the last movie and a few new people and they're off to go save miles yeah and um this movie made the wise decision to not make it like uh you meet all your friends from the first one and then they don't have anything to do like peter b had a lot of scenes and gwen was the co-lead Mm-hmm. but now we're bringing back uh, penny parker and she's gonna be driving an actual neon genesis evangelion 
<laughs> and we got Spider-Man Noir. Yeah, Spider-Man Noir didn't get any lines, but he's back. So hopefully we'll get Nicolas Cage doing his funny thing from the first one. And Spider-Ham is here. Just like, they didn't... They they kept me asking for more, and then they teased me at the end. It was perfect. Yeah, yeah. There were a few moments when, like, the music started to swell, starting around the end of... Starting around the chase uh, at the Spider headquarters in Nueva York, when, it, like, there were times when the music started to swell and get big, and I thought they were going to hard cut to a to-be-continued at any point there. And I'm like, there's no way... We have enough time to do the whole spot thing. Like we are going to end somewhere, and we're going to feel bad about it. I I also got that. That's a feeling I got at the end of Dune when I was just like, I read Dune. We're about halfway. Oh, we're going to end here, aren't we? Yeah, and like Empire Strikes Back style of we're going to end somewhere, and it's going to be like a low point. But interestingly. They kept it going just long enough to kind of start to be on a little bit of an upswing. Well, they show you the terrible situation and then they show you the flash of hope. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good choice. It also, it was such a specific promise that like, it doesn't feel like the end of a Marvel movie now. Where you're just like, maybe this matters and maybe it does and we'll find out whose contract says what. Yeah, it helps also that they had announced both movies at the same time originally. I mean, good call. Maybe that's how movies should get made. Yeah, yeah. It, well, back, it's, this is a Back to the Future 2 and 3 situation. It's also uh, the with Lord the second of the Rings trilogy. Better. Well, there's a Lord of the Rings trilogy uh, situation, and it's also a... Um, I had another great example. Where they made them at the same time? Oh, the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. The, two, the second and third they made at the same time. Oh, it and that second movie like it. does not end. No. No, it does not. This one did, and I have a lot of hope for the third one. Yeah, I'm like, uh, I'm not even thinking about the third one because if I do, that way madness lies. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Oh, Elias, I would give this movie a twelve out of ten. I don't know. It, it might. It, I think it might need a thirteen out of ten. Ooh. Okay. Well, you said it, not me. Oh, actually, I got it. It's got a 1910 out of 10. All right, you heard it here first, folks. Make My Multiversity gives uh, Cross the Spider-Verse 1,910 out of 10. Yeah. All right, all right. Theory time. Hit me. Theory time. Sorry, lots of clapping. Uh, I think Miguel O'Hara is going to be Moreland. Holy shit, dude. That's insane. Because there were all these like references, like when it, when uh, Miles and him were talking, he's like he kept saying, "You're not a real spider," and that felt more charged than just the normal like multi-layered, you don't belong here stuff that Miles has kind of been given and get getting that he then refutes. I feel like he, something happened with Miguel, and he is not a spider. You are right that. It's really conspicuous how little Inheritor stuff has been mentioned, but, like, a lot of their vibes have been mentioned. We got the Web yeah. of Life and Destiny. Yeah, who knows if you'll actually be, like, Moreland, but I think, like, the, that energy is going to be infused into Miguel. The vampire thing where he tries to bite Vulture at the beginning, and we don't really see how or why or what that would have resulted in. 
and he tries right. to do it again to Miles, and like that was a sinister moment. You're like, oh, his face completely changed, and they don't let it linger. I think that's going to be important. Well, and his face is always so scary. He's got like weird. He looked like he had like machinery under his face. Yeah. So that that's that's me. That's my my theory for the next next film. He that's going to be make up a major part of it, and then the rest is going to be like the spot. I hope you're right. I'm yeah. Could not be more excited. Uh, we've been talking this movie for almost as long as the movie. Uh, maybe it was a pretty it was a pretty long movie. I think it's over two hours. We're we're not quite there. Well, this has been an emergency session of Make My Multiversity. In the meantime, Elias, uh, where can uh, folks find you on the larger internet? Uh, they can find me writing at multiversitycomics.com uh, and they can email me at erosner at multiversitycomics.com. I do have a Twitter. I don't really check it, so I'm not going to say it. And you can find me on uh, letterbox.com backslash ramblingmoose and also at ramblingmoose.tumblr.com. And I look forward to hearing y'all or you all hearing us on the next time. Yeah. Insert prowler sound effect that i tried to do again <laughs> here and uh before we go this edited this episode has been edited by livian Safir, and our theme music is excelsior by carol romo so we'll see you next time excelsior Thank you.